0: This is getting better and better. God. So we've got Jerem, the leader. Are you a leader? The leader. Right. The leader, be leadership expert. Are, are you a leader, Miles? I, I, I think I am. I'm not
1: sure now that we got this guy on here. We got, we're going to have, we got to, going to, have to, to ask. We're going to have to ask him. <laughs> there he is. We were because we have you, we were questioning our own leadership ability. I, I, I don't even know if Steve's really a leader now.
0: I, I, <laughs> I, def- I know definitely you're not a leader.
1: I'm struggling with it. I'm, I can't even believe myself. Follows People, if, if nobody they follow follows
0: you on the, on the uh, sidewalk, they then they go to the other side. That's
1: right. Yeah, I'm struggling, yeah. but that's why yeah. we have Jeremy on here today because he's going to clear all this shit right up for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is
2: why I'm, here. I'm, I'm here mostly to, uh, to to make sure that you know whatever sort of conflict between friends and colleagues I, I can <laughs> decide truly who is the best one. That's really what I'm here to do. Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I think your, your message is on delivering to Miles the sad news. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, he, we are he likes to, to be the best.
1: We are going to get into a little bit about emotional intelligence.
0: Yeah, we're talking which, emotional intelligence tonight, right?
1: Which, which, which I think right now in this political climate, social climate, there is a lack of emotional intelligence. So we're going to get into a little bit of that. And I think there has been for a long time,
0: right? I mean, there's been a, there's been a lack of emotional intelligence for quite some time. And I'm not just talking about your own emotional intelligence, miles. I'm talking about in the uh, country. Yeah. And I think that we've gone downhill. So we'll talk about that today. But yeah, well, I, Jerem, we're, I, we're excited to have you on. Yeah, we
1: really are. We are really like excited to have you.
2: I, I yeah, so thanks, I was, thanks for joining us. I didn't realize I was resolving a feud. But you know what? Whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever gets me exposure, man, I'm happy to do that. Yeah, I love it. Well, normally, hey, normally
0: we start our episode by asking our guests a question. Um, and, and what I'd love to know from you tonight, Jeremy, is what's making you laugh today?
2: Yeah, laugh today. Um, yeah, so I have today. I, I had kind of a, a convention that I went to with some other with some other presenters and uh, up in Los Angeles. Um, so the L.A. traffic is laughable. So that's one thing. And then the <laughs> I didn't laugh. I would cry. See,
1: That's emotional intelligence. That's
2: Right. For most people.
1: That is. L.A. traffic is about killing people and being pissed. And so you've already scored like one star with us already. When you talk about L.A. traffic is laughable? You've already flipped is, that paradigm. So we yeah, love was you wasn't with
0: Michael Douglas when it wasn't it Michael Douglas when he was angry yeah. and he got out of the uh, traffic and then went and shot up the town. That's right. Yeah, I forgot the what name of the name it. Of <laughs> um,
2: standing it's, tall. It's standing tall. Michael Douglas. Oh, that's there we right. go. So that wasn't you today. That was not me today. No, no. You didn't
0: pull out the shotgun. You're
2: mm-hmm. Not walking
0: out of your car. Okay. I left good, cool. I saw
2: sawn off in the trunk. Yeah. Thank second. you.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody sees
1: and if anybody sees you smiling in your car it's infectious well they go yes. this guy's smiling so i'm like why why am i pissed he's having fun like let me have some fun in my car
2: i feel like i'm giving an inaccurate representation of what i'm like in traffic uh <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> the, uh <laughs> um no man um i i saw some really great people today and uh somehow somebody got a hold of a dodgeball that was in the same like convention room and a, a little mini dodgeball game broke out, so that was interesting as well. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. Well, well, that you is know what awesome. they say, you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> I did throw a water bottle, so they were just... Hey, I'm sure it's so the same thing. You, balls, you know?
0: <laughs> I was
1: recently reading um, a, a story about Phil Jackson, the ex-coach of the Lakers and the Bulls, and He had you, what you just said kind of reminded me of this a little bit because he said um, guys would be headed off to practice and they knew the practice was going to be tough because of something that they did wrong the other day and everybody was pissed at it. And they would all come into practice and Phil Jackson would say, We're going to a yoga class or we're going to the movies. And they all thought that they were about to get hollered at by the coach but he flipped it on them and they would go to the movies or they would go do yoga classes. So it sounded like when you said there was this 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 soccer ball and everybody's expecting one thing and you really just change it on them which really makes everybody relax afterwards once the seriousness starts to come to play. So it just reminded it just triggered that in my brain. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, sure. that's, and that's how we do it, right? So dodge a wrench, dodge a ball, dodge a water bottle today.
1: Here we and, and with
0: that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve podcast. Uh, a man who changed the dodgeball to a soccer ball, living in Oberlin, Ohio himself, is a resident <laughs> intellectual, W. <laughs> right. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Thank you. Thank you. Great great to have you joining us today. And in the mountains of Utah, at least I think I am, because of the smoke, I can't see anything. I am Steve Cutler. Uh, Today's guest is a man who is going to inspire your soul. Uh, We are excited to have Jerem Smith joining us. And Jerem says, I'm a former Hollywood producer, turned professional keynote speaker, and I've never really looked back. I grew up in San Diego, California. I entered the film business around the age of 24 Gained a bit of an audience. Started working with a youth mentoring company, and after realizing the strong need for emotional accountability with youth and adults, I created some content that was picked up, with, or that has picked up some steam. I've been featured in Forbes, and as an expert in leadership and emotional intelligence, and also featured speaker in Yahoo Finance. My work has been reviewed by celebrities and thought leaders. And I will be taking the stage very soon at a TEDx conference. I've been a speaker professionally for six years and opened a one-on-one coaching program in January. So, Jerem, we are excited to have you. Uh, thanks for coming on the Evolve podcast with us.
2: Oh, thank you very much. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, so but, so what a, what a cool story. I mean, you uh, started out in the entertainment industry and saw a need. Talk a little bit about that need that you saw uh, relative to the emotional accountability. Uh, I love the way that you put that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a thousand percent on board, but I want to hear your perspective on that. So talk to us about what you saw there.
2: For sure. You know, if I could go back, if I could go back uh, and ask Forbes to change that particular wording I would actually say rather than um, emotional intelligence I would probably say emotional accountability and um so when I was in the film business there was something that I noticed and you know you would think it was just <laughs> I, I at least I think a lot of people would think that the emotional uh, intelligence or emotional accountability part would uh just be with the actors right <laughs> because mm-hmm. the when it comes to and that's a lot of what I did in the in the, uh the industry was acting I got into production just so I could get into more films and um it wasn't long after a while and I I would help films get funded as well. And it wasn't long after I got in there that even though I was working with a company that I really liked for the most part, um, they, it it was interesting how this industry attracted so many, so many people who were, who were still looking for something. I mean, we're all looking for something. Um, These people seemed, uh, the industry really seemed at least from what I was seeing, really seemed to attract people who, who were uh, looking for validation of some kind? Gotcha. And, yeah. and, and Very deep to level. Deep for level. sure. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and for sure, the reason it does that, any kind of industry that that um, attracts people or or that promises some sort of fame, that usually will attract people who are looking for fame as some sort of escapism to their um, to their distress and so that's what, why
0: we do this podcast miles yeah. and i have no self-confidence whatsoever we just want fame that's it when we're famous i don't even know what we're going to do right
2: and that's what most of us are <laughs> That's why I mean, it's to of people. So uh, good. good. <laughs> and i would not say that i was completely excluded from that when it came to when it came to the film business that was attractive you know the uh you know people were impressed by it when you actually get into the film business you realize this is just another job um, but one that pays less than most, you know, um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, I definitely looked around and I, I would see these things, but even after working with celebrities, I noticed it was the same thing. They were also really, a lot of them were also still looking for validation. They were still looking for people to be impressed with them, even after they achieved what most people would think was fame. Uh, it, it, it never really stopped and, and it's an insatiable need. So Coming, I would say when that was an observation that was made in the film business, and a lot of people told me s- similar things as well. They they uh, they said if you're going to make it, you have to do this. If you're not, whatever make it means, right? Um, if you're gonna if you're going to do well in this business, you have to do this. And I and I started seeing that most of them were wrong. That there were Hmm. there were actually uh, when you treated the film business like a business, there were actually many paths to to get success and to shortcut things. But what was lacking in a lot of those people who didn't make it was a general understanding of how people work.
1: Ah, That's interesting. That's
0: really interesting. So so a lack of psychological understanding, lack of how that that emotional piece, but also what makes people tick. Is that what you're talking about?
2: For sure. And, and what it came down to ultimately was accountability that these, um, that accountability, what, I, I tried to wrap my head around it. Like, what is it that all of these people are not all of them? Cause many of them were actually quite emotionally intelligent, but what is it that so many of these people are looking for and they're not finding, why is it that they can't hold a conversation with somebody um, right. without coming off really strange or, or why is it that they grew up in high school, they developed this inability to communicate with other people or to, or, or to communicate with people who intimidated them even more so, and then that followed them their whole lives until they felt like the film business was the only way for them to gain validation rather than having gained it before. Um, and it really all came down to accountability. Which is another long explanation. <laughs> it really did come down to emotional accountability. Are these people accountable for their own feelings? Hmm. So how do they I love get? I really so going
1: there. it's just interesting because emotional accountability. When I when I hear those two phrases, I, I'm, I'm basically hearing a tool, and it's a tool that who gets that? Like when you're growing up. Who gets that? You know, I I don't think I ever heard the word Very emotional accountability in my, in my household, um, right? Ever? Um, I, I just even even the word emotion and in, in emotional in a constructive way, we never heard that. You know, like every once in a while, your mother would say, "Well, you got to watch your emotions." And you know, as a kid, you're like, "What is she talking about?" I And that's a good
0: point because it's often used in a negative connotation, right? Right the and then accountability.
1: Right. So, yeah. how do you start? How do people get to see what this is when they hear that phrase? How do they take a deeper dive and go, "Okay, what does this really mean to me from the perspective of what we're talking about? These people in in the film industry who don't have that emotional accountability."
2: Yeah, and, and again, I don't want to bash on the film industry because that was really a, a that was really a. A beef part, a, a beef, a brief part of my uh of my career until I entered this new thing. It was just a very educational part of my career. It's just yeah, really a snapshot. Where, yeah, really where I started looking at things at seeing. You know, I was in my early twenties and I was looking at the world the way things were and trying to. You know, when, I, I think a lot of people when they're in their mid twenties, they are looking at they're looking at the world and they want to understand what truth is and the way things mm-hmm. are. And to me, um, when it comes to accountability, it has to do with fairness. And, you know, if, if I'm going to expect something of somebody else, then I also need to be willing to to provide that when, when I'm in a similar situation. So, when, um, and the reason you may have never heard of emotional accountability is, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a phrase that I started using. I've never heard anyone else use it either. Um, so I may have coined it. I'm sure somebody else has used it once before, um, but uh, I may have coined the phrase. Um, when I talk about emotional accountability, I mean that because I feel a certain way or whatever emotion I'm feeling is not necessarily correlated to truth.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's, that's interesting. It's, it's that's corny. really
2: interesting. Right. Yeah. And so, and so emotional, when it comes to emotional intelligence, my definition, my personal definition of emotional intelligence is number one, understanding where an emotion is coming from. And number two, understanding whether or not it is connected, related, or correlated to truth. Right. If somebody, okay. if, if somebody tells me I'm fat and that doesn't mean I'm fat <laughs> that I'm right. necessarily, that just means that they want, that doesn't even mean that they think I'm fat. That just means that they said I'm fat. <laughs> um, right. now, if right. I start right. to hear that over and over again from a lot of different people, well, then there's a, a good chance that I'm fat.
0: <laughs> but, you might want to look in the mirror at that point.
2: Sure. But then we break it down right. even more, right? We break it down. Even <laughs> you may want to look in the mirror. We, we um, want to break it down more. So somebody told me I'm fat did they intend harm my uh, uh, emotional intelligence would stop me there and say did this person intend harm because just because they said i'm fat does not necessarily mean they intend harm but we often assume that it does so if that's broken down even more but let's say they did intend harm let's say they did intend harm (laughs) um somebody told me that i'm fat I now know that um, I know. I now know that that is not does, doesn't necessarily mean that I am fat. And I also know that it doesn't necessarily mean that they think I'm fat. I also, but now I've been told by a lot of people, so we've covered that one up. All right. Now this person said I'm fat. Does this actually um, does this actually mean that I'm fat? Even though all these people said I'm fat, I look in the mirror. And I see that they meant it. I see that maybe I am fat. Now I have a question of whether or not I'm going to be offended. And I think this is where accountability often, uh, uh, emotional accountability, accountability often fails. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whether or not I'm going to be offended. And the truth is, it shouldn't matter whether they meant it or not. If they meant it and it hurt my feelings, is the what the feelings are telling me are, Because I am fat, I am therefore not worth as much.
0: Because I am fat, I
2: am not as good as people who are. And I'm not fat, by the way, if anyone's looking. But (laughs) because I I just want to make sure the term. (laughs) Just make sure everyone knows that. But because I am fat, now that means, uh, or because I am fat, that does not necessarily mean that in comparison to somebody who isn't, that therefore they are worth more than I am. That is an emotional assumption. That is uh, an assumption that is usually based on what our culture thinks when we hear something like that. There are cultures that when you tell them they're fat, it's actually a very positive thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm moving oh, I am what are talking about there. <laughs>
0: I'll send you the plane ticket. I, I love Thank what you. you're talking about, though, is uh, the emotional accountability. Now, I've heard of accountability. I've read a lot about emotional intelligence, but I love how you put those two things together. And I think it's a beautiful definition. I, I want to go back to what you talked about just a second ago when you're saying, I have the choice. When someone says something, whether they intended to offend me or hurt me, whatever, I have the choice whether or not I'm going to be offended. Now, I may feel bad. And I think feeling bad is a very natural reaction. I may feel sad. I may feel, yeah. uh, you know, I, maybe there's emotions that I can't even define by words. But, and this is a huge but. I don't have to become offended, and that's what you're talking about. Is that with this emotional accountability, I have the choice to be offended, or I have the choice to write a different story? So, talk a little bit more. Uh, uh, excuse me, talk a little bit more about that choice in that moment.
2: Sure. And so, when when people get offended, it's usually because they're trying to regain some kind of power. Right? They felt that they just somebody said something that or did something that was um, offensive to them, or that they they that hurt them, and now they're mm-hmm. taking that hurt and they're using anger. Anger, which is, I, I you know, I used to think that anger didn't have a purpose. I That's used to think very that, powerful,
0: very it, 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 powerful, very powerful,
2: and, and so and um, I used to think that anger didn't have a purpose, like that it was simply there as a loss of control. And then when I really mm-hmm. thought about it, no, I don't think that we have things. That don't have a purpose, <laughs> and yeah, um, anger is used in a time of war. Anger is used; right. it creates awareness in the body. It creates, um, it it uh, it makes us more aware, and it makes us stronger. It makes us gives us more energy in a time of war. So what happens is we often misinterpret this saying, whether it be you're fat or you're short or you're stupid. We take these thing we take these things and we misinterpret it. Um, often, I, I think if someone said I was stupid, I would probably assume they meant to offend me. But, but uh, we take it like, like listen, um, I don't want, let's say it was, listen, I don't want to be your friend anymore. That hurt, would hurt a lot of people a lot. Right. So what we right. do, is we take this, se- this sentence, which is, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And we interpret that into a state of war, which is, if you don't want to be my friend anymore, that means you hate me again, the assumptions, and and if you hate me, then that means that we're enemies and I should probably hate you too. Why? And the hate
0: then or the anger can turn into a moral high ground, right? And that's what I think a lot of people yeah. miss. Because I love what you're talking about of using this analogy for war. It, we do get on different sides. And it, every war I've studied, every war I've read about it throughout history, both sides feel like they have a moral high ground. And so that's an easy way for us to utilize what we may perceive as a negative emotion, sadness. Then I move it into anger. Now the anger becomes where I go to war with, and I use a moral high ground to say you shouldn't have done that, and I'm offended.
2: Right. And the anger is highly connected to the moral high ground for sure. It is. It yeah, is very absolutely. That's that's where they. In fact, the anger almost gives them an excuse. And do that. you know what I I really blame it on <laughs> is uh, network television. Because in this, in this, or, or, or reality TV, and, and, and this is, it, there's nothing wrong, that it's not, not anything wrong that the writers themselves did, but in this attempt to create drama, right, they have to create situations where I remember watching Lost, and I love the show Lost, but there were times where the show was kind of losing ideas, you could tell the writers were kind of losing ideas, um, not the whole time. I am one of the people that loved the whole series, even up to the end. But there were times that in, in any TV show where people just reacted ridiculously in a way that most right. people wouldn't react to dramas that normally wouldn't cause a problem. Either somebody didn't tell you something or uh, or they t- said something they shouldn't have said and somebody got crazy offended and, and, and right. created a state of war.
1: I see that in a lot of television.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And you,
1: it's like the first two seasons of the first two seasons are really creatively done. And then they don't realize that they have a monster hit on their hands. And then they start writing and it's just conflict based. Right. And the Mm. conflict can be absurd. And you just, by season three, you're looking at the show going, why is he doing that? Why is she doing that? Why is he reacting that way? Why is she reacting that way? I, I totally get what you're
2: saying. Go ahead. And it's manufactured. They call that a manufactured drama in the film business. Right, okay. um, they, <laughs> wanted, they created something because they needed some sort of. Because people are intrigued by conflict. I kind of get bored of it after a while. Um, but uh, and that's because. But think I about
0: that. That's people's lives. Oftentimes, we do the same thing. We've got it. We got to Act One. We got to Act Two. Maybe we have some uh, intellect and some creativity going into it. By the time we get to act three in our life, we're like, oh, what do I do? And so then if we don't know any better, if we don't have this emotional accountability that you're talking about, Jerem. Maybe we just go towards conflict. And that's what our life is about.
2: And for a lot of people, it is. For a lot of people, they feel value through conflict. It makes them mm-hmm. feel they're important. It makes them feel like they have something important happening in their lives if they, if they don't if they or if they feel that they don't. Um, And it makes them feel like a winner. It makes them feel powerful. It's like a gambling game. If they can create a conflict, they might win. And if they win, then Mm. they feel good. And so I know a lot of people that, in fact, I can really think of one who I won't say, (laughs) but um, one person in particular in my life who loves to create conflict and that person ends up alone. And it's because Mm. they usually it usually comes down to a an an unwillingness to accept their own faults and uh when it comes to emotional intelligence and all this and, and all of this i uh i'm going to tell you a little story so when i was in my when i was in my early 20s i had two friends who who seemed to be even though i introduced them both i, I was you know a young boy and i had two of my two of my friends who ended up getting along better with each other than they did with me and that hurt a lot in fact it was very obvious that they liked each other more than they liked me and would sometimes mm. even do things with without me right and so what what how does dare they mean? huh how dare they how dare right? they right yeah. because this is what i did i created a contract in my head that i didn't have them sign my mm. contract said We're gonna be <laughs> i love that. forever, and, <laughs> and you can't be you can't be better friends with each other than you are with me. My contract. You've got to say
0: 75%. I've got
2: 90%. You've got to stay 75%. Exactly. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, this is our friendship contract. Um, if you break this contract, then we are not just only not going to be friends anymore. We're going to be enemies. Right. Mm-hmm. And we do this now with dating. It makes a little more sense because there is a, a commitment there. But with friends, I didn't have any, I didn't have any kind of contract that said, we have to be friends forever, forever. And so what happens when people have this contract and, and their friend decides, I really don't care for this person anymore. This person has offended me. This person has annoyed me. This person has threatened, has been threatening to me. Um, the, you, those are usually the three reasons people pull away from other people. Um, when they feel that pulling away, they feel a sense of betrayal, even though no co- contract was broken. And then they go into a state of war because that's the only way they can win at that point. Wow.
1: That's really interesting perspective.
2: Right. Very a lot of us um, would think that sounds like a terrible way to live when in reality, as I personally gained more emotional intelligence and looked at this particular situation and said, ask myself, why is, and this is just one example, but I asked myself, why is it that I feel so terrible right now? and, <laughs> And what is it that they did wrong? And the answer was, I feel terrible because I don't feel valuable anymore. Um, I, I I put my value in their hands, and then and then they they fell short in my according to my contract. So then, then what happens to my value? My my value was in their hands, and and it relied on this contract that I wrote that they never signed. Then once the contract was broken. So was my value.
0: Well, it, and you bring up a great point when you're talking about your value. See, the funny thing is we, we all have multiple relationships where at varying levels of engagement, varying levels of love and interaction, and we're okay with most of those. But when certain amounts of engagement or love reduce, if we went in at that particular level that we're currently at, we probably would have been okay with that. But when something reduces, then automatically we make that tie to worth. We make that tie to our value has gone down. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily the case. It just might be a timing thing. It might be that, uh, like you talked about, maybe your friends were getting along better than what the two of you were, the three of you were together. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure you have great friends that you connect with even more and better than what you did there. But what a crazy thing we do to ourselves where we tie so much of our value to what our past level of love, acceptance, and connection was.
2: Well, and have you ever met anyone who ties their value to their favorite football team? (laughs) No. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> well, I I would see um, people that would just be my dad's friend growing up in particular. If his team lost, he was what, and he was mad at that team. You know, he was mad, and then yeah, also crying, uh, screaming, yeah, for sure. And at my high school, we weren't allowed to wear sports uh, team shirts, and I always thought, I'm like, why would we not be able to wear sports teams on our shirts or sweatshirts or something like that? It turned out it caused a bunch of fights. People fought over what sport team was better or like what football team or baseball team or, uh, or whatever team was better. They tied their value to a sporting event, a game, literally. Yeah. A game. yeah. So there were a couple things that there are a couple things when it comes to that is if uh, another way to look at emotional intelligence is if the tables were turned, would I still feel the same way? Well, I, mm-hmm. am I going to eat the crow that I'm feeding other people? And, uh, <laughs> and and the truth was when I thought about that, that 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 which is what that second question was what have they done wrong what did they do that was so wrong that I haven't done and when I thought about what was happening to me it was for some reason and by the way it turned out to not be this simple later on but um <clears throat> I, I thought to myself something I have done has either probably annoyed them offended them or threatened them in some way and in one case I could see that I that to one particular friend, a little bit, I was threatening to his status <laughs> because because I, um, and this sounds like a cop out, but it's really not. I took about eight months to figure this out. Um, I was threatening to his status because he felt like I was very social and kind of an alpha male because I, I did get people together and we did fun stuff. The other one, I genuinely had to come to the conclusion that I hadn't annoyed him and that Mm. when it comes at a lot of people can admit like oh he's just jealous that's why that's why he doesn't want to be friends anymore because that makes us look better right um but when it comes to no i did something that offended or annoyed them that's a hard pill to swallow I have done the same thing though to people. I had I had stopped associating with people um, based on their level of annoyance or or, their, or if they said something or if they were just constantly a, a, a taxing friendship rather than a giving friendship. Yeah, I, I would disassociate myself from those relationships certainly if they became toxic. But to be on the other side of it, that's a hard pill to swallow. But it, it is a yeah. very healthy pill to swallow. <laughs> when when we can realize um, that that sometimes we fall short. And because of that, maybe people just were not we're not their bag anymore. We're not, we're not gonna, they're not gonna be happy with us. If we can swallow that pill and just be okay with it and say to ourselves, I remember there were three things I told to myself. In fact, I remember exactly where I was standing. I was actually at my mom's house in Arizona when I when I came to this conclusion. And I said, I don't know what I did wrong, but I'm sorry. Like I said this in my head. I was like, I, if I offended them or annoyed them, I'm sorry. Um, I'm a human being and I'm not perfect. And I'll just have to do better next time. And then came the next test, was which was um, normally what people would say is, Oh, that's messed up which is what some of my friends told me when i told them about the situation that's messed up that mean um, um they're not your real friends anyway i'm like no i think they are my friends i just think that they're going through something or, or mm-hmm. i've done something to offend them and that's totally okay the only way that i can say for sure that they didn't do anything wrong and that this isn't their fault is if my level of friendship in my opinion of them does not change based on their opinion of me. Because then at that point, I am no longer in control of my own emotions and I have to stay accountable to my own emotions.
0: Yeah, and I'm really talking about about the internal and external, right? Because part of this is you're, you're going, when we, sometimes when we push our accountability off and we don't take accountability, sometimes it's internal, sometimes it's external. We may blame it on another person, or we may blame it on some sort of factor inside of ourselves. But when you have true accountability, I I think what you, the way you talked about this is very beautiful, that if I hold true accountability, that means that I'm going to face the negativity head on. As soon as I face the negativity, life becomes much easier. So when you recognize that something's not great, when you recognize that something is not um, where you want it to be, then all of a sudden, life shifts and becomes better and easier.
2: Sure. And, and with the acknowledgement that just because I did something wrong or I did something that wasn't perfect, just because I have faults does not make me less valuable. Um, yeah. I, 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 I did have... I, I and I have I have I had friends at that point too that I I kind of gave them a little space. I wasn't sure what I had done, and it turned out that that I wasn't completely wrong. And and to be honest, I, I mean, it turned out I wasn't completely right about everything. And had I reacted in a way that had been you know in a state of war, I would have lost those friends. And they're still my friends till this day. It was just a little moment we had. So when people look around them and they wonder why they're alone. Um, and that they keep pushing people away. It's usually because they made some sort of assumption because they weren't willing to look at their own emotion and look at it objectively. Most people have to blame somebody else because the idea of the idea of acknowledging the fact that they might not be perfect or that that they might have done something wrong or offended somebody else is terrifying for them.
1: Yeah, It's fun. funny, I look at I look at what's going on today and after having this conversation for the last 10 minutes, I'm really fucking scared. Like, I'm scared. <laughs> and I say that because...
0: I'm scared that 40 minutes into this conversation, you think we've been having a 10-minute conversation.
1: Well, I'm talking about the topic <laughs> we're on right now. <laughs> it's a little this, little, this, this little segment right now because everything that you we've been saying is really they're these tools yeah and i'm not sure everybody well i am sure Mm -hmm. most don't have these tools and and the tragic part of this comedy is when i look at social media I always wonder if i look left it looks like social media could be a beautiful thing for exposing our emotional accountability limitations and and we, we gain a certain amount of knowledge from this. And when I look to the right, it looks like we're just all being shoved off this precipice. Mm. And I'm not sure which direction we're going in. Um, I have hope because the three of us are here having this conversation um, and I'm sure others are having it, but it seems like in the wider world, these tools are really missing.
2: And it took me, if you think about, I mean, here I am the expert, right? It took me, I don't think I fully accepted all of that until I was about 27. So part of the reason, and most of us don't, it's just kind of what we're taught. So part of the reason that um, I speak to so many youth is because I want them to know in their youth, the, the, the cognitive distortion or, or the error in thinking that that they're going through is gonna do them a lot of damage if they don't break out of it now. And to even say that their parents may be teaching them, and and, and I would probably believe it, their parents are teaching them a a culture of of lying, which is if somebody tells me something I don't want to hear, I need to, and and it's not always the parents, a lot of times it's just society, it's network television. But if somebody tells me something I don't wanna hear, I can react this way and avoid responsibility. If I react this way and I become outraged, it's a way to avoid the responsibility of actually changing it. What what I have found is that when somebody gives me feedback, that's not easy to hear. And it's like Steve said, um, it's not easy to hear all the time. And it does just because we're not angry doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that we're not disappointed, though that alleviates eventually as well. When somebody tells me something like I, I remember... Uh, one of my best friends, he uh I did something silly and I kind of like tapped his cheek like that, like ah you. And he was like, and he tells me pretty, pretty bluntly, but not offensively, he says, I don't like it when people touch my face. Now how do people <laughs> how do people normally react to that situation? And because I had been practicing these things more and more, and it really does emotional accountability takes practice. It does. Yeah. It really yeah. takes practice. And so I'm like, I'm not gonna be Normally, what I would do is I would either do something that was like silly or funny um, to make fun of him in order to avoid, you know, accepting his feedback, or I would get really awkward and quiet and sad and feel stupid. But rather doing either one because I had been practicing this, it was one of my my first opportunities to say, "Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I won't do it again."
1: Right. Yeah. We moved
2: on, <laughs> and we had a great night. It didn't become. It's only as awkward as you make it. We we were we were fine. We had a great time. And that is, um, it takes practice. But if we can just learn to accept people's feedback and not take it personally, it's actually a very peaceful way to live.
0: Oh, it's extremely peaceful. I think that there are two lost arts in our society. Number one, it's sitting up, standing up when we get negative feedback and accepting it, understanding where it's coming from, first and foremost. And I, I remember, and this is probably the only time in my life that I have or will ever quit, uh, quote Hillary Clinton, but she said, "I don't take, I don't take." Uh, <laughs> thank you for the laugh, because I'm not a big Hillary Clinton fan, but I do love this quote from her. Um, she she said, "I don't take feedbacks um, personally, but I do take it seriously." And I think that that's a, a lost art that when someone gives us feedback, especially if it's negative. We need to hear it. We need to hear it and contextualize it. And then the second thing, Jeremy, that I think you alluded to was the art of the apology. Learning how to give a genuine, real, clear and concise apology is a beautiful art. Those two things coupled together are the most peaceful acts we can do, not just for the world, but for our internal universe, for who we are in our depths of our soul. And I believe that those two things bring a significant amount
2: of emotional intelligence and emotional accountability. Right. And and part of the reason, oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Um, Um, Part of the reason- Miles was
0: just brushing the food off of his face. There you go. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so I, I thought about that. Why is it that it's so hard for us to accept feedback? and why is it that it's so hard for us to apologize? And I created a whole new vein of content uh, based on that one thing, which was judgment. And, mm. and judgment, and when I say judgment, I'm referring specifically to our comparison of ourselves to the rest of the world and um, our comparison of other people to the rest of the world or to whatever to whatever assumption or standard that we feel that person should be hitting. And so what's interesting about that what i found about judgment is that no matter what whatever standard that i hold other people to and i always compare it to driving because i can get kind of road ragey um when i when i uh especially driving that's the that's
0: the line of the night road ragey that's the first time i've ever heard that
2: <laughs> another phrase that's I find, um, yeah, not that's as, emotional accountability but you can use our charge um the uh when i'll get all road ragey right and I'll, and it's usually because somebody did something that was honestly very very dumb and i'll be like what the heck was that like come on learn to drive and then there was this one time that i did that same thing and it had to do when we were trying to merge onto the freeway and they did something really dumb and then i got mad at them and then almost immediately after i did the exact same thing so <laughs> so what did i do there you know <laughs> what did i do there i I put this judgment on them and I said, my belief system there was, if this person does A, then they are dumb. If this person does this, then they are dumb. And then I did said thing, which was dumb. And therefore, if I follow the belief system, that means that I'm also dumb. And then we usually defend and say, oh, but it's different for me. But truthfully, deep down inside, what we're doing is when we hold someone to a certain standard of judgment, then when we end up doing the same thing, which we usually do, um, we therefore b- um, follow the belief that we're dumb too. Whereas if had just, if I had looked at the situation and said that person did something because they were distracted, <clears throat> or they had a moment of weakness, they had a moment where they weren't thinking clearly or they just weren't thinking about it, then when I had done the same thing, I would have given myself that same measure of grace. Yeah. I, I, have, this, I,
1: have, yeah, um, I have this phrase. That I wrote down, which I think is very powerful, because I think it gets to the crux of a lot of what we're talking about: emotion and the phrases or the sentence says, "An emotion usually represents an amplified, energized thought pattern, and because of its often overpowering, overpowering energetic charge, it is not easy initially to stay present enough to be able to watch it. It wants to take you over." And it usually succeeds unless there is enough presence in you.
2: Hence the practice, for sure. Um, Hence it, the practice. When, and I think for any of us that have had to control our emotions and really admit that that we weren't that that we weren't right or that we had done something that was hurtful to somebody else, um, it is very hard. It is so hard to sit there and to feel an emotion of sadness or hurt. And to sit there and not deflect it, which is what usually anger or a state of war is. We want to deflect it immediately because we don't like it. It hurts. Um, yeah. We want to close it off or we want to blame it on somebody else. But to sit there and stew in our own comparison to somebody else or to sit there and stew in our own self loathing is not tasty to people. They don't, we, we yeah. don't want to do it.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it, it is a tough thing to break. And I like how you're talking about. The practice. I think that the practice is key to everything in life. And there is a, there's a neurological and physiological thing that has to happen in order for us to shift into a better state. And in order to do that, we have to practice. And if we want to get into a better state on a regular basis, practice is key. Well, Jeremy, we're coming up on our time and I want to run through just a few rapid-fire questions for you.
1: Wait, what? Uh, so wait,
0: wait, he, wait, wait, wait before you oh, does it. You always do this. You wait. always. And you move your think, hand like that. Cuz I
1: think this is hilarious. <laughs> so, Jerome, okay. As as I as I was reading stuff, you know, looking at some things your your online presence, um your website, um, I put your name in and this came up.
2: Oh my God! <laughs> there's, there's I, I don't know. preface. I, be- oh, I worked in entertainment for a long time, but keep going. <laughs> okay, me, me too. We my, won't I talk guess. about those other films you did. That's, spent that's not on this podcast. My night I job. Spent, <laughs>
1: Yes, I spent 21 years working at a place called the New York Shakespeare Festival, and five years on the TV show Law and Order. So I've been like <laughs> knee deep in that industry. Anyway, but this is and looking up, looking you up. This is what came up, and I'll, I'll fix it up. It says. Unanimous Media CEO um, Jerome Smith is doubly is doubling down on Black storytelling with um, Sony Studios partnership. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, so, let's, <laughs> so let me—I know. So let me clear it up. Um, there's somebody named Jerome. J. E. R. O. N. Smith, oh. <laughs> and, and, he's af- <laughs> and he's and, he, and he's he's African American, and apparently he's worked out some deal with Sony to do this storytelling thing. So sure. when I first saw it, I first looked at it, I was like, okay, so this guy's doing black storytelling. I really Another want to white guy to do a white guy doing black storytelling. It was <laughs> a very rich history that
2: I'd be honored. I uh, can't say that, uh, anymore, but <laughs> that's great. All right,
0: Darren. So rapid-fire questions. So what we're looking for is just one word or
2: one um, uh, quick statement response. Uh, so you ready to go? Oh, this is like a this is, I haven't I haven't done this since like this is like a time test at school. Yes, go for it. All right. Yeah, yeah, it's like a game show.
0: All right, so let's talk disruption. How do you disrupt your life in order to
2: spark a new growth? Time to my oh, one word, right? Vacca- well, one word, one phrase, either way. Vacation. I love it.
0: Okay. How have you evolved over the years?
2: One word is so hard. All right. Well,
0: well, one word or one phrase, one one
2: sentence. Um, Reflection.
0: Oh, I like that. Uh, What challenges have you had to overcome in your evolution?
2: Comparison.
0: Oh, I love that. Last one, as you have evolved, what is something that you used to believe that you no longer do?
2: Everyone, what I used to believe?
0: Yes, used to believe, but you no longer do.
2: That some people are better than others.
0: Beautiful. I'm with you on that. Well, and on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another episode of the Evolve podcast. I want to thank our guest, Jerome Smith, for joining us today and my co-host, W. Miles Riley in Oberlin, Ohio. We've had a great conversation today and we hope that you, our evolutionary listeners, took something with you that will help you on your personal evolution. So, Jerome, you're always uh, creating some new content, doing some amazing things, but what's the best way for people to follow what you do?
2: I would say the best way to, for people to follow what I do is to text the number 310 I'm sorry. 310-496-3807. It'll go straight All to me. Right. Great. Let's get that number
0: one Instagram. more time.
2: <laughs> That's 310-496-3807. We can we can have a direct chat with each other. Also, um, uh, yeah, I would say Facebook, Instagram, Jerem Smith, I'm probably the most popular one. (laughs) There's not a lot of us out
0: there. (laughs) (laughs) That is probably true. You are the most popular Jerem Smith out there. Well, thanks Jerem for joining us. And uh, folks, hey, uh, do me a favor, will you? Don't wait, go smash the stars on the ratings, uh, whatever app you're listening to the Evolve podcast on. It really helps us to get amazing guests like Jerem to come on the show. Uh, But Miles, you're looking especially beautiful tonight. Uh, What's new at Evolve?
1: Well, folks, I think um, we are going to start to highlight the Evolve Your Soul t-shirt. It is a great shirt and since our souls are always being dragged through the ringer, whether good or bad, our souls are consistently evolving. So we are going to highlight the Evolve Your Soul t-shirt. Get on over to the shop, pick one up, look at it daily. Write it down, write down, evolve your soul as you wear the shirt and find out the things that are dragging your soul through the mud. Find out the things that are wonderfully helping your soul and stay on top of your soul as you're wearing our t-shirt.
0: Great, thanks Miles. And remember folks, it does take time and consistency to evolve, but first you've got to disrupt in order to evolve your mind, evolve your body, evolve your soul and evolve your tribe. You're fantastic, but uh, now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve.